0: Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Well, good morning. If I've not met you, uh, my name is David Cumbie I'm the lead pastor here at Apostles. If you are uh, in second grade or down, second grade down to five years old, you can go right through that door there with Mr. Alex, and he'd love to take you down the hall there, and you guys are going to learn more about Jesus, and you'll come back and join us in just a few minutes. And then if you are third grade and up, we invite you to stay in worship, and uh, we're going to do a little handout thing, you come up here to the front, you can follow these kids who know the drill, they're gonna grab their clipboard, and then then they will uh, be able to follow along with the sermon. If you also wanna go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter seven, those verses that I just read, that's where we're gonna be this morning, Matthew chapter seven. There should be a black Bible in the seat back near you. If you wanna grab one of those, you can follow along. So we have been going through a series uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and we are coming to the, the close to the end of that series here in Matthew chapter seven. We'll actually wrap that up next week. Um, but Jesus is giving us several pictures here at the end of Matthew chapter seven. And we're gonna focus on one of those pictures. You might have at the heading in your Bible, uh, it might say something about trees and fruit, or it might say something about false prophecy. So this morning we're gonna be looking Uh, at this idea of false prophecy and how Jesus uses imagery of fruit and trees to help us understand that. Uh, As we start, it it reminded me, as I was uh, studying the passage this week, it reminded me just of uh, as a kid growing up in North Carolina, I I wasn't fully aware of this reality, but I I was actually involved uh, in a very intense war that was taking place in North Carolina in the 80s. And this war was a cola war between coke and pepsi now if you guys know pepsi right okay good i'm just making sure because here's the thing yeah somebody said unfortunately amen (laughs) i'm a coke guy see but the pepsi was born in the carolinas it was actually uh it was developed in a drugstore in eastern north carolina and so i grew up pepsi was everywhere in north carolina that's not always the case but north carolina was everywhere and so really what happened was you were either a pepsi household or you were a Coke household, right, or Christians. (laughs) That's great, Derek, thank you. Uh, So if you came to my house and you said, can I have a Coke, uh, you got a Coca-Cola, not a Pepsi. We were Coke people, and so we did not, we were not fans of Pepsi. So to this day, it still frustrates me if I'm out in a restaurant, and y'all know the drill, if you say, hey, I'd like a Coke, and then somebody brings you a Pepsi, right, or if somebody brings you, even more a generic cola, right? That will not do. They look the same in the glass, and you don't know, really, until you take a drink that you've got something that you don't really want. But you can instantly taste the difference, right? So growing up, I, all I drank was Coke. So if I got something that wasn't Coke, I could taste the difference between Coke and a knockoff. <clears throat> so Coke, as the commercials say, is the real thing. Right? Coke is the real thing, and you can taste the difference. Now, I thought of that because in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus, uh, when it comes to the gospel, what he's saying here in part is that there's the real thing, and then there's counterfeits. Right? There are true prophets who proclaim the true gospel, and then there are false prophets who share a false gospel. There's God's truth, and then there's the knockoffs. And Jesus says, if you're careful, if you're paying attention, you can taste the difference. You can taste the difference between the real thing and the false thing. So what I want us to do is to look at what Jesus is teaching here and how it can help us to be a discerning people, a faithful people who follow in the way of Jesus and the true gospel. So let's look together at what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 7. If you want to look at verse 15, he begins his teaching by saying, beware of false prophets. Beware of false prophets. So just a couple of things right off the bat. Notice that Jesus assumes we will encounter false prophets. It's an assumption. In Mark 13, Jesus says this. He says, false saviors or Christ's and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, not unbelievers, but he says, the elect. The target is followers of Jesus, and his exhortation is be on guard. This continues throughout the New Testament. The Apostle Paul warns about false prophets and teachers repeatedly. You can look at Romans chapter 16, 1 Thessalonians chapter two, 1 Timothy chapter six, Titus chapter one. Again and again and again, these warnings come up about false prophets and false teachers. So what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that no matter what, you are going to encounter false prophets and teachers. The church will have to contend with this particular problem. It's not a matter of if, in other words, you will encounter false prophets, it's a matter of when. Jesus knows, in other words, that we, the church, his body, his family, that we're a believing and a welcoming community, right? We're a believing and welcoming community, and so the church, in particular, is susceptible to those who would wanna take advantage of that reality. I think in the age of digital communication, we have to be mindful that that susceptibility is not limited to who's standing here and preaching and teaching on a Sunday morning. Every tweet, every post, every podcast, every book, and especially ones that are so-called Christian or spiritual, represent a real potential for false prophecy. Whether we realize it or not, we are constantly exposed to false prophecy, and if we aren't careful, we will take it in indiscriminately. We will take it in and not realize that it's actually shaping who we are as followers of Christ. So so with that in mind, let, let me ask this question. What then is a false prophet? We're supposed to be on guard, beware, looking out for these, what is a false prophet? Well, maybe we can think about it this way. If a true prophet speaks God's word to God's people, Old Testament and New Testament, then false prophets, on the, other hand, on the other hand, speak lies to God's people. In some ways, it's really that simple, the distinction. The original Greek, for example, that uh, is drawn from this passage, uh, the word for false is actually the word pseudo. We're familiar with the word pseudo, which means false or not real. So in other words, what Jesus is saying these prophets are doing is they're they're bringing forth a message that is a pseudo-message. It's a not-real-thing message. And so that's what prophets do. False prophets do. They bring pseudo-gospels, in other words, to God's people. Specifically, Jesus says here that false prophets are people who, quote, "...come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves." So what does he mean? They come in sheep's clothing and that they're ravenous wolves. First thing he means is that false prophets are deceptive. False prophets are deceptive. False prophets do not enter a room and self-identify as false prophets, right? Would that they do that, but they don't. They, They walk into a room and they look like you and me as followers of Jesus. They sound like you and me. And Jesus says they act like sheep. They look like sheep. They smell like sheep. They fit right in because they're wearing sheep's clothing. And so that's why Jesus can later say what he does in verse 22, this hard saying of, Lord, Lord, we didn't, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then didn't we declare all that to the world? And you said, depart, for I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness, Jesus says that because false prophets and teachers give every appearance in almost every way that they are indeed not, or that they are indeed followers of Jesus, and yet they are not. That's what makes them so particularly dangerous. That's why Jesus uses this strong word at the beginning, beware. So what does that mean for us? I think it means we need to maybe be a little more careful about who we listen to. And and what sources of information we take in indiscriminately. Just because someone quotes a lot of scripture and uses the name of Jesus, and even does actual miracles of healing and deliverance, Jesus says that does not make them trustworthy. This deception can take a lot of different forms. It can take the form of compelling rhetoric. It can take the form of important sounding titles. It can take the form of academic degrees, huge global ministries, powerful influence among Christians, and even, again, Jesus says, miracles. False prophets can perform miracles, and not faux miracles, real miracles. So, deception. Jesus wants us to be aware. It's possible to be deceived by these false prophets. The second thing he points out is that they are extremely dangerous. We should not underestimate the danger and he he uses this powerful image of a ravenous wolf to kind of help harness the danger. What do ravenous wolves eat? Sheep, Sheep. they eat us. (laughs) That's what a ravenous wolf is after. After you, after me, after followers of Christ to devour them. John Stott points this out, and I thought it was really helpful. He says, they're not ravenous so much because they hunger for power or prestige, but because they are responsible for leading people to the very destruction they claim to be delivering people from. They are hungry, in other words, to confuse, to divide, and destroy God's church from within. That's what makes them ravenous wolves. So like camouflaged predators, That's how they enter into the body of Christ. And they find their way into our midst and they lure people with what sounds like and looks like Jesus, only to lead people away from Jesus. And in a world that desperately needs Jesus, could anything be more tragic than pastors and preachers and church leaders? who draw people away from Christ. It's dangerous. Jesus says, beware. He warns us that these kinds of people exist. They will come among us. And if that surprises us, it's not because you haven't encountered them yet. It's because you and I have been deceived. Jesus' exhortation is do not be naive. In this world, you will have trouble, he says, and that includes false prophets. But notice he says beware. He doesn't say be afraid. He says be aware, but don't be afraid. This is not a call, as we might be inclined to hear it, as a call to be paranoid, This is not a call to establish a special ministry that goes around ferreting out false prophets from among us, right? This is not a fear-based response to evil. This is the Lord Jesus calling us to be vigilant, to be prepared, to be aware. So how do we know the difference then between false prophets and true prophets? Jesus actually is very practical here. He He gives a tool, And the tool uh, I'm going to call this morning the fruit test. It's the fruit test. So Jesus goes on and he talks about the fact that good trees produce good fruit and bad trees or unhealthy trees produce bad fruit. Now, Jesus loved talking about fruit. If you just search through the Gospels, fruit comes up again and again and again. One example in John chapter 15, he says that those who stay connected to him actually produce good fruit in our lives. Earlier in Matthew, uh, he says that those who follow him will bear the fruit of repentance. That is, their lives will reflect their faith and their loving submission to him as their Lord and their Savior. Their lives will reflect that inward reality. And in some ways, the whole Sermon on the Mount, everything we've been looking at over the past couple months is a picture of a fruitful life in Jesus Christ, a life that bears fruit. Through Christ in us. But apparently, what Jesus points out here is that a life can also bear bad fruit. A life can bear bad fruit. He says, Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. And then he finishes up by saying what he said at the beginning you will recognize these false prophets by their fruits. Bad fruit comes from unhealthy trees. Now, I I don't know a lot about trees. I'm I'm not an arborist. Um, But from what I can gather, especially when it comes to fruit trees, and this is reflected in what Jesus says uh, about trees that are diseased. In an orchard, when there are trees that are diseased or unhealthy, you must remove them you have to remove those trees from the orchard so they don't infect the other trees and cause the disease to spread. You cut them down, you pile them up, and you burn them. An extreme image from Jesus about how to handle these types of situations. Jesus is not saying we burn people, just so I'm clear, (laughs) but he is saying that's how serious this is. That's how serious an issue this is for the church. So, What kinds of bad fruit do false prophets produce? If you just read through uh, the New Testament, you actually can compile a pretty comprehensive list based on the teachings uh, of the apostles and the epistles. So let me just give you uh, a few of them that I kind of found as I looked through the New Testament this week. So you can find the fruit of false doctrine rather than true doctrine, greed rather than generosity, pride rather than humility, wisdom of the flesh rather than wisdom of God, Lies rather than truth, vain discussion rather than edifying speech, confusion rather than clarity, division, conflict, and disorder rather than unity and love, disobedience to God, rebellion rather than submission to godly authority, pain and abuse rather than peace and freedom. These are the things that mark the teachings and the leadership of false prophets and false teachers. Now, I would encourage all of us to be familiar with this list. In some sense, this is the opposite of Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's the good fruit we're after. But this, we need to be familiar with this as well so that when we see it, we recognize its source. Now, that's a helpful list. The gospel produces the fruit of good character. Uh, we know that that's a part of what it means to follow Jesus. It's transforming and shape us. We are not saved by our works, but true faith in Jesus produces good fruit in us, transforming who we are and how we live because of what we love. If it doesn't, then it's not faith, at least not faith in Jesus. Right? But here's the thing about fruit. <clears throat> fruit doesn't grow overnight. Fruit takes a long time time to be produced, Uh, sometimes it takes a really long time for that fruit to be born. And so Jesus promises that eventually the fruit of our lives and the fruit of these false prophets will come forth. And so for us, what that means is we have to be intentional and patient, and we have to pay attention. Uh, We don't want to be cynical on the one hand, about people and we don't wanna be naive on the other. But we must remember that the devil has always been in the business of deception. He got Adam and Eve to take the fruit God warned them not to by deceiving them and he is working to deceive us too with bad fruit. Now, when we think about um, how we apply this, to me the low-hanging fruit, uh, for example, would be like celebrity pastors, right? Uh, people, we, we don't know them personally. We don't know their lives. We don't have a relationship with them. We don't know if what they are preaching, what we're hearing from them, uh, if it lines up with how they live and who they are. We don't know their hearts. We just get the information, right? So easy to kind of see it at work there. So we ought to be very careful, in other words, about how much influence we give authors and speakers and ministry leaders to have in our walk. There are great people who can bless us with their teaching and their speaking and podcasts and all those things. Again, not to be cynical, but not to be naive. Don't take it indiscriminately. Too many people have given up on God because they actually put their faith in people that didn't deserve their trust. And so we just wanna be careful. But again, I think that's the low-hanging fruit. I think Jesus' words go much deeper than that. It's hard for me to read these words as a pastor and not ask, Lord, am I a false prophet? In fact, if I don't ask that question, I don't think I'm actually hearing Jesus. Now, I don't say that to alarm you. (laughs) I say that because what Jesus is doing here is he is shining the light on our hearts in the matter of integrity. Right? The alarming truth in Jesus' teaching is that leaders can easily become false prophets if an incongruity exists between what they say and their way of life. In fact, their self-deception can become so entrenched that they believe they can deceive not only others, but God himself. Lord, Lord, didn't I fill in the blank for you? They can actually believe the lies they tell others in their own hearts. Now, no one wakes up and says, man, I think I, think I want to become a false prophet. It's a slippery slope of giving in to all kinds of smaller temptations along the way. And Jesus' words here call all of us to be ruthlessly honest before the Lord and with one another lest we become hypocrites and false prophets. So it's a warning. Beware for false prophets out there and beware false prophets in here. So how then can we guard against false prophets? Let me give you three things I think we can do to guard our hearts and our minds and our community, the church, against false prophets. And the first is simply this, that we know Jesus. We need to know him. Uh, A vibrant, personal, obedient walk with Jesus is the best protection against false prophecy and false gospels. When we walk with Jesus, we walk in humility and an awareness of our own need for grace. Only he can save us from our sin and our self-deception. He has conquered the power of sin and death, and he has set us free from darkness. And so we can pray like the psalmist, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to root ourselves in Christ and let him root root out our sin, which blinds us uh, to him and to his truth. We need to devote ourselves to sound doctrine and to ask the Holy Spirit to help produce good fruit in us. And only Jesus can truly change us from the inside out. So first, we need to know Jesus. Second, we need to know Scripture the best way to learn to identify counterfeits is to become an expert in the real thing. I drink a lot of Coke. <laughs> I know what Coke tastes like, right? And even blindfolded, I could tell you if you've handed me a Coke or a Pepsi. We need to have gospel-formed taste buds, as it were, fine-tuned to the sweetness of God's grace and truth, so that when something we encounter tastes off or tastes sour, we can identify it, we can detect it. So how do we acquire a taste for God? By eating and drinking his word. Again and again and again. How do we produce and experience good fruit in our own lives? Through his word and by his spirit. Psalm 1 says good fruit comes when we are like trees planted in God's word. When we know the gospel, Right? That God made you, that he loves you, that he created you for life with him. But then in our sin and our rebellion, our selfishness, we turn from him. And yet Christ was sent to rescue us and redeem us and to draw us back to, G- to God himself and to give us life with him. That is the good news of the gospel so that we might know him now and forever. There'd be true freedom from sin and from death. That's the good news. And so things, when, when things are not in line with that, we know they're not in line with that because we know this gospel. So first, we need Lord Jesus. Second, we need scripture. And then finally, third, we need to know each other. We need to know each other. One of the tragic consequences of our radical individualism in the West is the belief that we don't actually need each other. But the call to follow Jesus is a call to follow him together. When we don't have meaningful relationships with each other, we make ourselves more susceptible to being deceived. When we're living out Jesus' call to love one another and we're bearing fruits of the Spirit in our relationships, it helps inoculate us, in a sense, from the spiritual disease of bad trees. In our community, the more genuinely we are following Jesus together, the more those who are intentionally intentionally trying to lead people away from Jesus will stick out. They'll be going against the grain, against the current, if we're all moving together as we follow Jesus. And so if we're gracious and honest uh, and quick to forgive, for example, then someone who's divisive and deceptive will be going against the grain of our lives together. They'll stand out. But here's, here's where false prophets take advantage. When we don't really know each other, And even more than that, when we're not real with each other and vulnerable with each other, then the fruit of false prophets is a lot harder to spot. It's a lot harder to spot. So, knowing Jesus, knowing Scripture, knowing one another will help us as we face a world full of false gospels and false prophets. Jesus says, beware of false prophets. You will know them by their fruit. In other words, Jesus says, if we pay attention, if we discern between good and bad fruit and protect ourselves from false prophets, that he will care for us. He will shepherd us. He's the true shepherd. But ultimately, in a fallen world, there's no foolproof strategy to protect us from false prophets. There's nothing we can do Make sure this quote never happens here. What we can do is hold to the good and the beautiful and the true in Christ. Jesus is the only one who can protect us, the only one that can help restore and heal us when we stray from Him. And with every teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, this lesson draws us back again and again and again to that beautiful reality that we need Jesus, the true prophet, because only He speaks the true gospel. Amen. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we, um, we receive this uh, difficult and challenging teaching this morning. And Lord, we know that, um, as always, your words seek to pierce our own hearts before they do any work anywhere else in our lives. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to examine our own lives. Lord, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We all desperately need your grace. And you call us into this life with you, free from sin, free from death, free from the power of evil. And Lord, that you can actually give us that life in yourself. And so Lord, would you be at work in us to form and shape us in your likeness? Would you free us from our own sin? Lord, and you form us as a people who are aware and can see and understand the world around us and that we can hear false gospels for what they are, false gospels, and we can see false prophets for who they are, false prophets. And that means that we fix our eyes on you, Christ. So would you help us, Jesus, help us this morning to fix again our eyes on you. We pray that in Christ's name, amen, amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at ApostlesHouston.org.